July 2014, the online shoe retailer Zappos had an issue. Their warehouses had messed up, and thousands of customers were going to get their orders late. The problem was so big to the company that the CEO, Tony Shea, sent out an email to apologize. Here's our colleague, Bob Haggerty. In the email, Tony said that uh, if you had suffered undue hardship from this delay of a day or something, here's a phone number you can call to get redress. And then he said, if you didn't experience any undue hardship, but you just found this extremely annoying, well, then you can still call Zappos and ask whoever answers the phone to do something weird and embarrassing, like saying, I'm a little teacup. Can you remind me of how I'm a little teacup goes? Um, I'm a little teacup, short and stout. Here is my handle. Here is my spout. Thank you very much. I haven't sung that for a while. <laughs> See, if I'm not sure I would uh, qualify for the uh, customer service team at Zappos. <laughs> so I love this story because it was just, uh, it showed both Tony's devotion to customer service and his quirky sense of humor. I think that was one way that the company was endearing to its customers. Last week, at the age of 46, Tony Shea died after being injured in a house fire. Before his death, Shea had made a name for himself as an off-the-wall tech entrepreneur who helped transform online shopping. He was known for his bold and unconventional management style, and he took customer service to the next level, encouraging employees to spend more time with customers rather than less. He thought about almost everything differently than most people. He wanted work to be fun. He was interested in trying different approaches to anything. He liked doing stuff that would surprise people, and uh, he didn't really care what you thought of him. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Wednesday, December 2nd. Coming up on the show, how Tony Shea used his unconventional ideas to build Zappos into a billion-dollar business and transformed the way we shop online. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. What was Tony Shea like? If you met him, I think you probably wouldn't have any big impression of him. He would seem like a quiet guy who might be the assistant to the assistant of something, not showing any kind of evidence that he was a big shot. Somebody told me that she met him at a computer conference and she said, are you a computer programmer? And he said, yeah. He didn't mention that he was the keynote speaker uh, <laughs> and that he was the CEO of this famous company. Shea was not a man obsessed with money or status. He was willing to do his own thing. For a time, he lived in an Airstream trailer in downtown Las Vegas, where he had a pet alpaca named Marley. 
Shea's enterprising spirit first came to light in his childhood. He was born in 1973 in Illinois. His parents were graduate students at the University of Illinois. They were born in Taiwan. And then when he was about five, his dad got a job in uh, Marin County, California, and he grew up there. His father was a chemical engineer at Chevron. His mother was a social worker. And they were pretty strict. He was allowed to watch only an hour of TV per week. He was required to learn the violin and the piano. He didn't really like practicing the violin all that much, and so he came up with the idea of recording himself practicing the violin. And then early in the morning on Saturday, he'd play that tape while he did something else. And his parents thought he was being very diligent. Tricky. How was he as a student? As a student, he was always trying to do the minimum amount of work. For instance, he was once assigned to write a sonnet. And he decided this was going to be way too much work. So he he decided he was going to write his sonnet in the Morse code just a bunch of dots and dashes. And he thought, either I'm going to get an F on this or the teacher's going to love it and I'm going to get an A. He took a gamble and he got an A+. Instead of sonnets in iambic pentameter, Shea was more interested in business. And as a kid, he launched a few of his own. His first entrepreneurial project was to persuade his parents to buy a box of worms from a worm farm. And he decided he was going to create an earthworm farm of his own in his backyard. He was going to go into the business. And so he dug a hole and he he lined it with some chicken wire to uh, hold the worms in place and buried them there. And he had read that uh, weightlifters ate a lot of egg yolks so their muscles would grow faster. And so he dumped raw egg yolks on the dirt every day. And the chicken wire probably wasn't very effective. No. About a month later, he decided to harvest some of his worms. He dug up the dirt, and there were no worms there. They'd all escaped. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal in 2013, Shea reflected on what that failure with the worm farm had taught him. That experience, you know, going into it, it seemed like it was a sure thing and, uh, and you know, couldn't think of anything that could possibly go wrong. But I, I think that, along with you know, some other things I tried, some of which worked out and some, some didn't, helped me realize that there you know, are no quick wins or, or, or easy uh, solutions to anything, because if there was, then everyone would be doing it. Shay's path from wannabe worm farmer to tech entrepreneur was actually pretty traditional. He went to Harvard, got a degree in computer science, and after graduation, landed at a tech company. He right away got a job at Oracle in California, and his parents were thrilled that he was working for this big blue-chip company. But within a few months, he was very bored because he didn't really have much to do there. So, Shea quit and turned a side project that he and a friend had been working on during lunch breaks at Oracle into his full-time job. That company, a pioneer in online advertising, was a success. Within two years of starting it, Shea and his friend sold it to Microsoft for $265 million. With all that cash, Shea launched a venture capital fund with a partner in 1999, and they went looking for startups to invest in. And one of the ideas they got came from a guy named Nick Swinburne, who had set up something called ShoeSite.com and said uh, he was going to be the Amazon of shoes. Tony's first reaction was that that was a really dumb idea. (laughs) You know, and a lot of people would have said the same thing. You know, who's going to buy shoes without trying them on first? This was in the 1990s. 
But then Nick told him that, well, shoes are a big market, and already about 5% of shoes in the U.S. are sold through mail order. So people don't really need to try them on. You know, even if we got a small bit of the market, that would be a lot of money. And Tony, to his credit, quickly revised his opinion and said, yeah, this is worth trying. But he said, you know, shoesite.com is not really a great name. Why don't you come up with something better? The site was renamed Zappos. And Shea was in. After investing, he later became CEO, despite not being very interested in the site's products. It wasn't that he was passionate about shoes. In fact, he said that he really, really wasn't into shoes. And before he started the company, he would only have one pair. He'd wear them for a couple of years until they wore out, and then he'd buy the same thing again. And even after he had the company, he said he only had about 10 pairs of shoes. But he liked, I think, the intellectual challenge of figuring out how to do this better than anybody else could do it and how to create a community and a culture As CEO, Shea started putting some innovative ideas about online retail into practice. First, have better customer service than all of your competitors. I think he recognized that people were going to be nervous about the idea of buying shoes online, especially at first. And other websites made it kind of complicated. So he needed people who were going to be very friendly and helpful and would talk people through things. And he even instructed them Look, if we don't have the shoe the person is looking for, try to find the shoe on another website and you point the customer so you could buy it there if you like. So he's losing the sale, but he's gaining a loyal customer. Almost every company will say, we put customers ahead of everything, but very few deliver on that. And his explanation was, well, they don't deliver because there's no immediate benefit from that. There are costs, but there are no immediate benefits. The benefits only come two or three years down the line. And he was willing to wait for those benefits. Shea told employees they could send flowers or cards to customers, help them order pizzas, whatever they wanted. And he also said, take as much time as you need on calls with customers. Be chatty. And sometimes they would chat for hours with people who were lonely or (laughs) confused. They claimed that they recorded one call that lasted six hours. What? The idea was whatever it takes to satisfy the customer, that's what we'll do. Tony Shea was interested in just saying, we're going to be the world's best at customer service. One big way Shea prioritized customer service? He didn't outsource his call center like many retailers do. Instead, he made the call center a key focus of the company's operations. When it was built in Las Vegas, Shea relocated the company's headquarters there too. He said, we were not going to have the call center shunted off to the fringes as some peripheral operation. It's going to be right at the heart of things. And I think that was really a brilliant idea, realizing that the call center was not a cost center. It was the key to making the business work. Another way Shea made Zappos different from other retailers was he offered free shipping and free returns years before that became mainstream. If you're looking for shoes, you don't know if it's going to fit or if you'll really like it when you see it. So they said, that's fine. You order all you want. You order six or 10 pairs, and we'll ship it to you for free. You try them on. And the ones you don't want, use this label, free shipping back to us. So that made it very easy for people to say, yeah, I'll try this. There's no risk, really. It must have been costly to have to handle all those returns. It was, but they figured this is the way we build up volume. And they found out that The people who returned the most shoes, who you think would be the customers you don't want, 
were actually the most profitable customers because they also bought the most shoes. And once you've got a loyal customer, they'll come back again and again. They didn't have to do a lot of advertising or promotion because the customers they had kept coming back. So they sort of saw this customer service as a form of marketing. Exactly. That was how they they were going to build up their business, and that's what worked. As much as Shay thought about how to make a good experience for customers, he also thought about how to make sure his employees were happy working there. They really stressed this idea of being friendly and considerate. I think one of the smartest things he did was, in his hiring process, people would often be flown into Las Vegas job candidates. They'd be picked up at the airport in a shuttle from Zappos, delivered to the company, meet a bunch of people, have interviews, and then the shuttle would take them back to the airport. Well, at the end of the day, somebody at Zappos would ask the shuttle driver, how did this guy treat you? And if the answer was, well, he was really a jerk, the guy didn't get the job. No matter how well his interviews had gone, he had proven that he was a jerk. So he wasn't wanted. Shea's interest in company culture didn't end with his no-jerks philosophy. He wanted to upend corporate hierarchy completely. And to do that, he put in place a controversial management structure. One that had no managers. Everyone was their own boss. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. In 2015, Tony Shea spoke to the Wall Street Journal. There are people that come in to Zappos and say, it's way too distracting here. There's, you know, llamas running around and parades going on and uh, tacos are falling out of the ceiling. Like, what is that? And, uh, Shea had sold Zappos to Amazon for $1.2 billion a few years before. Under that deal, he'd arranged for Zappos to operate independently with its own wacky culture and its own management system. He decided to try out somebody else's very odd idea called holacracy. What does that mean? It's a system of running a company that involves getting rid of managers and letting the employees sort of manage themselves, figure it out for themselves, form little groups to get things done. Shea called those little groups circles, and they were supposed to manage themselves. Here's how Shea explained it during that 2015 interview. So one way to think about it is that think of each circle as ultimately its own startup. And so one of the things we 
want to think of is Zappos as its own ecosystem and employees can freely move around different circles. And normally in a typical company, you report to one manager and that manager has the ability to hire or fire you. Under Holoxley, that actually is not the case. You can resign from any role at any time, go join another one and decide that you're not a good fit for the role, but removing you from the role doesn't remove you from the company. It involves just trying to get rid of bureaucracy. So you don't want middle managers around organizing the work. You want people to be more entrepreneurial. And so you let employees kind of figure out what needs to be done and how we're going to get it done. Employees have so much more to offer. They're a full human being that has all these other skills that if they're given the right context to collaborate with each other and actually be creative and help move the company forward, that they will do that. The idea behind Holacracy is that employees are too constrained in more traditional corporate settings and that employees would be happier and companies would get more out of them if those constraints weren't there. Of course, not everyone at Zappos was into Holacracy. Here's Bob. When they were implementing it, they offered a a buyout for anybody who wasn't happy, and about 14% of the people took the buyout and left. And, you know, Tony Shea was asked by that, you know, it doesn't look too good if 14% of the people are leaving. And he said, well, another way to look at it is that 86% didn't take the buyout. They wanted to be here, and they like it. There's a quote by attributed to Darwin, uh, supposedly, that says, like, it's not the fastest or most intelligent or strongest species that survives, it's the one most adaptable to change. I think the same is true for companies. And so what we're reorganizing for is we want to be the best at adapting. And rather than uh, figuring out a structure that's perfectly designed, we're building a structure that's made for evolution. They modified it over the years and probably scaled it back a little bit, but I don't think they ever abandoned it. After 20 years at the helm, Tony Shea stepped down as CEO of Zappos in August, three months before he died. His impact on the online shopping world is profound. It's no longer strange to buy shoes or really anything online, especially in this year's holiday season. On Thanksgiving Day alone, online shopping soared more than 20%. Black Friday shattering online shopping records. A record-breaking Cyber Monday. I could sit in front of my machine and hit five stores at the same time. I think Tony Shea, his role was pretty important. Because it used to be thought in the 1990s that things like furniture and shoes would never really go online. Wouldn't buy a mattress online. Yeah. I think he was one of the first to show that you can sell almost anything online if you are willing to be creative about how to get people past their fears and give them a way of redress if things don't work out. He was just one of the people who demonstrated that there are a lot more possibilities to e-commerce than books and records. In a tribute after Shay's passing, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos wrote that Shay's curiosity, vision, and relentless focus on customers left an indelible mark. How do you think Tony Shay will be remembered? I think he'll be remembered as somebody who not only talked the extreme customer service game, but delivered on it who took an unlikely-sounding business and made it a big success as somebody who 
was willing to try ideas that other people would think were crazy and often made them work, wasn't really wedded to any particular system, but wanted to keep exploring ways to do things better, ways to keep his employees happy, ways to keep himself interested and engaged. I spoke with a guy named Alfred Lin, who was the uh, CFO and chief operating officer for Zappos. He said that one of the keys to the success was that Tony was willing to try things that other people would think were wacky. He said that Tony was aware that some of his ideas were terrible. Still, he still wanted to try them out. He quested after better ways to do things. And the fact that other people thought something was a dumb idea didn't deter him at all. Even if it ended up being a dumb idea. Yeah, if it did end up being a dumb idea, you would move on to something else eventually. You know, if the worms get away, you take the lesson. That's all for today, Wednesday, December 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. For all you sticklers out there, we know the song is actually I'm a Little Teapot. But Shay's email did say I'm a Little Teacup. And so we went with it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.